Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. You may have noticed that one Whole Foods Market store is not like the other. We're proud that each of our stores has its own quirks, a direct connection to the surrounding community, and buys and sells their own products. Whether it's artisanal chocolates exclusive to Bowery, small batch pickles in Chelsea, or a featured craft beer on tap at West 97th, you'll find that each store is a little bit different than the next. With six Manhattan locations, Whole Foods Market offers a taste of every neighborhood. Come see us in Tribeca, Bowery, Union Square, Chelsea, Columbus Circle, or the Upper West Side. Open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. For more information, visit www.wholefoodsmarket.com. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, and we dig plants. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we are the ladies of uh, Groundworks, Inc., a landscape design firm in and around New York City, designing uh, rooftops and backyards and etc. Um, today's show is all about one of our favorite boroughs, uh, Queens uh, Botanic Garden. Or the borough of Queens, I should say. And we have Susan Lassert, the executive director of the Queens Botanical Garden, um, joining us today. Let me tell you a little bit about... We don't want it to be too Brooklyn-centric. Okay, right. Folks, we talk about Brooklyn a lot. We wanted to give Queens a chance. Right? Yeah, let's yeah. talk. <laughs> Susan and I go way back, um, back to uh, my old days as... Uh, program director when I was at the Horticultural Society of New York, and Susan and I worked on a couple of Carnegie Branch libraries designing gardens um, with the Queen's Botanic, or with the Queen's uh, Public Library System and the Queen's Botanical Garden as a partner. So anyway, um, a little bit about Susan. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Susan has been the executive director of the QBG, Queen's Botanical Garden in Flushing, New York, since July of 1994. She's responsible for leading the transformation of a much-loved 39-acre garden in one of the most ethnically diverse counties in the country into a model of cultural expression and sustainable design. Um, they have the first LEED-certified building in New York City. Is that right? Yep. We're Pub- gonna, public. Right. Public, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, she has served on the board or the steering committee of the American Public Gardens Association, the Flushing Y, the Green Gorillas, Metro Hort Group, the Coalition of Living Museums and Cultural Institutions Group, um, the Museum's Educators Roundtable, as well as on the American Association of Museums, Museum and Diversity Advisory Committee. So she's got a lot of public experience um, uh, in in cultural institutions here in the city. More recently, she's been helping the Boys and Girls Club of New Rochelle um, 
in New York, in Westchester, and has served as an assistant Girl Scout leader. In addition, she remembers with pride and fondness her own youthful years as a Girl Scout. I was a Girl Scout, too. Yeah. A lot of us. A yeah. lot of us were Girl Scouts. <laughs> Got to get those badges. Exactly. Um, in addition to her work at the QBG, Mrs. Lassert is an associate professor at Farmingdale State College, which is part of the State University of New York in Farmingdale, New York, out on Long Island, where she created and teaches a public garden management course. Um, she authored the chapter Public Gardens and Their Communities, The Value of Outreach, in an amazing book called Public Garden Management, the first ever textbook for the field, edited by Donald Rakow? Rakow. Okay. And Sharon Lee. Recent articles she has written and published include From Free to Fee and Connectivity, Vision, and Communication in Public Garden Magazine and Planta Non Grata, or the conversion of a plant lover in the Squirrel Island Squid. Mm -hmm. That's quite a publication. (laughs) That's in Maine. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) That was about purple loosestrife. When I was in school, purple loosestrife was a recommended plant for the landscape. And then some years later, I become director of the garden. I start talking about this beautiful plant, and I look at it. One of our newer, younger staff members was cringing because I was being filmed for a TV show. She said afterwards, she said, Susan, that's an invasive plant. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, you know, every time I look around, it's like, what plant is on that list now? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That list is growing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, Susan, tell us a little bit, tell our listeners about the origin of the QBG, because it's a fascinating story. Yeah, I'd, I'd be delighted. And I also uh, spent some time at Brooklyn Botanic, which I love as well. So, yeah. Um, well, Queens Botanical Garden uh, is an outgrowth of an exhibit at the 1939 World's Fair. That was a fair. You know, World's Fair usually showcase things that are innovative. And at that fair, um, hydroponics was showcased. And we in the plant world know what that is. It's growing plants in water. Mm -hmm. And also Jackson and Perkins Roses um, had so much demand for plants that after the fair they started um, doing mail-order roses. Which, you know, you think about it. Once upon a time, can you send plants by mail? People probably thought no. Mm-hmm. And although it happened a little bit, it happened a lot more after that fair. So there was this exhibit, um, Gardens on Parade, and people in Queens thought there should be a garden in Queens. Brooklyn has one. The Bronx has one. Right. You know, we want one in Queens. So people got together and kept that garden going. 1946, a Queens Botanical Garden became incorporated at the state level. And uh, 1948 opened as the Queen's Botanical Garden. It's over near where the Pitch and Putt is in Flushing Meadows, Corona Park. And isn't there, tell us about the land, right? Because the land has some history with plants. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you know, anybody that that has read The Great Gatsby would know. It's really uh, where Brooklyn Ash Company, I said Brooklyn. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Dumped um, the ash that was from people's homes that mm-hmm. you needed a place to do that and back then people thought these kind of estuary areas were the no perfect wastelands. place yeah, yeah. wasteland isn't that where cars and tires end up right, <laughs> right. well we yeah. have some of them on our site right. too <laughs> but um yeah so there was a lot of um landfilling that's happened that mm-hmm. that's when i was young there were a lot of signs fill wanted right and of course we don't do that now but that's how different areas um Brooklyn actually has some some fill under it too and sure. a lot of areas do so um the garden uh was actually moved and then Robert Moses became the 
a fair commissioner for the 64 fair and the garden was in moved. addition to every other thing <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> I, when we were moving out of our old building i found some things that had been signed it's like oh, oh my goodness yeah <laughs> it's very exciting but um yeah, and I've cursed him a little bit now and then because this land, this this you know land that's been landfilled. I mean, it's it's not the best soil in the world. You know, it's inconsistent. It's very mm-hmm. wet there, but it's our little flushing, our little area in flushing, and it's really flushing is one of the diverse, most diverse um, areas in the country. It's really interesting. I love it to go to events like Hindu Temple Society of North America mm-hmm. or the Korean community, the Chinese community, and people come to the garden. And it's really wonderful. This path, This is the the Lunar New Year, the Chinese dragon, New Year. Yeah, right. Year of the Dragon. It's lucky. Mm-hmm. And um, flushing is just a wash in the color red right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, people share their, their traditions with you about plants and about other things. So it really is fascinating. Isn't it true that the Queen's library system has the most, the books with the most languages of any place? Yeah. It's very impressive. They have a, a floor that is just dedicated to publications and from all over the world and mm-hmm. computer terminals with all kinds of languages. Yeah. I remember the great um, Eddie Murphy line in Coming to America, and he's, you know, he's the prince, and he's looking for <laughs> a queen, and where do I look for a queen? In Queens! Queens. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's a, it's a fabulous... Um, Experience to come to your mm-hmm. garden because of this cultural diversity. Can you talk a little bit about the programming and how that is um, targets your different community groups? Sure. When I was first at the garden, which is 17 years ago, hard to believe, but I, you, you, there weren't public programs at that time, and we started to do them and be all things to all people, but it didn't work. What I found was that in New York, I mean, this is an inner city, inner circle city, and you need to reach people through their associations. So mm-hmm. that's what we did. We um, established something called uh, Cultural Specialist. We just made it up and um, found three people from different communities, Korean, Chinese, Latino, to work with us to identify. We said, what are the 10 most important plants in your community? The 10 most important holidays? Who are the community leaders? Mm-hmm. What press you know, papers do you work with? And um, through that, we became introduced to lots of people. And it's really true. You need to go to the leaders. And I found in my time that people want to share their culture with you mm-hmm. a lot. And so when you open the door, people come through. And that's what's happened. So this past weekend, we had a pre-Lunar New Year and flower market event. Oh. It was beautiful. And it was snowing. It was a little, you uh-huh. know. But, but the show goes on, and um, flowers f- in the Chinese community, it's symbols really of like spring and hope and the new year. So it's a traditional event, and I had wanted to have one at the garden for many years. And um, then there was an introduction from somebody to somebody else, and this woman, master organizer, and we, we did it. So um, we do all kinds of things, like Day of the Dead, you know, mm-hmm. on Halloween, instead of just Halloween with costumes, yeah. Day of the Dead. Latkes and lights, um, uh, Diwali, important in the uh, the mm-hmm. um, South Asian community. Mm-hmm. So you work with people um, with how they want to share with you. And these are all activities that are in the garden, physically yes. in yes. the garden. Yes, <coughs> like concerts, dances. Mm-hmm. We do programs with children, like plants in the lives of the first Americans. Mm-hmm. Can't forget, right? That yes. right. <laughs> um, 
it's wonderful. And isn't there a connection between the land that you're on and also Prince's Nursery, the yes. oldest nursery in the United States? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Prince Nursery was established in 1737. Wow. 1737. 1737. <laughs> Before the United States was the United States. Right. And um, when I visited Monticello in Virginia some years ago, I looked at the brochure and it said that they Jefferson had gotten his plants from the Prince Nursery, mm-hmm. Flushing, Long Island. Yeah, right. <laughs> Cause of course, Long Island, right. Yeah, yeah. Queens and Brooklyn are part of the Long Island landmass. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was an important nursery. There were other nurseries there, too, the Parsons Nursery. Mm-hmm. And during the Revolution, actually, these nurseries got special attention. The Prince Nursery got special attention because people needed plants for food. Right. We, we still do. It's just that we're not as connected to that. Right. So um, the old catalogs have, you know, many, many different ki- types of apples or many, many different types of potatoes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for different occasions, different mm-hmm. uses. Well, George Washington, you know, after the revolution, he went right back to Mount Vernon to his house. And, and he said, America will only succeed if we stick to our farming roots. And I just find that so fascinating. And here we are, you know, 2012. Thank God we're returning back to farming and we have radio stations like this and mm-hmm. and people like you, Susan, to come on and talk about the history of the garden and also the cultural diversity of what America has become. I think that's why it's so important that um, the QBG be recognized and, and, you know, talked about because I think their involvement in plants and, and community is, is really unique and New York is lucky to have it. Thank you so much. Not a lot of cities can boast three botanical gardens. Right. It's know. true. Right. New York. It's true. New York. It, the, and considering its density to have mm-hmm. three of, I don't know the size of Brooklyn or the Bronx, but they're probably at least the size, if not b- bigger. Right, Susan? Yeah. Queens is 39 acres. Yeah. And then Brooklyn is 52 acres. And the New York Botanical Garden in the Bronx is around 250 acres. Yeah. Right. And so they each have, have their niche. Yes. Yes. Which is, yeah. They're, very, they're all very unique institutions, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased for the recognition because we are a little bit like the stepchild, you know, that we... We oh I didn't know there was a botanical garden in Queens. Right now that happens a little less now with our new uh, green facilities, our lead platinum facilities, and all we do with cultural communities. But um, New York Botanical and the Brooklyn are really recognized, and I'm, I have to give a plug for Central Park too, which oh, is fabulous. Right, right. well it's yeah. like the fourth botanical garden yeah. because it has so many different gardens within it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Formal gardens and natural gardens, and right. Well, we have to take a little bit of a break. Um, please stay tuned to We Dig Plants. Um, we're going to talk some more when we get back um, with Susan Lassert of Queen's Botanical Garden. Stay tuned. My friends feel as their appointed duty. They keep trying to tell me Use me up 
Hi, welcome to um, We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. That was an appropriate song for the topic That today. was some groovy music, <laughs> yeah. Carlos. Thank you. Uh, we have Susan Lassert <laughs> with us with Queen's Botanical Garden. And we're talking, uh, we were talking about the history a little bit of the land and um, the creation of the garden. And we'd like to get into now the present and the future of the garden. And one of the, one of the things that I found most impressive about the garden was the LEED certified building, visitor center, and landscape, and waterscape, too, mm-hmm. um, there. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it came to be and what's, it, what, uh, what's happening there now? I'd be delighted. And I want to say that um, our architect, Joan Krevlin from BKSK Architects, was fabulous to work with, and Jennifer Ward-Souter, who was on staff also. But I told you earlier about the uh, World's Fairs and how there are things, you you introduce innovation. Mm -hmm. And we were not thinking this um, back when we were designing. Yes, you were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I actually think that these movements evolve. Like we were were doing our thing and just like now it's food, but we were doing our thing. A lot of people around the country were doing these green things because you believe in it and you know it works. And then it popped out and now the whole world wants to be green. But um, as the decadence of the 80s was ridiculous. Well, <laughs> yes, yes. And um, so the, the planning started in the 80s or um, no, I'm, 90s. Yeah. Oh, in the, the 90s. 90s. Okay. Yeah, in the 90s. But it was before other people were thinking about it. And so yeah. we, we, we went to the city. We're on city property and they had this little unit, Office of Sustainable Design, with Hillary Brown. And she helped a lot and other people there. But it was really figuring it out. Um, and we just said, I want to be as environmental as possible and what does that mean so we're down in a little gully we couldn't do wind but we have the sun we could do sun early on I said I want a composting toilet in this new building and um, Joan also is like how can we not have it be the building and then the landscape we wanted it to blend and uh, did a fabulous job and it was right. really a team and that's th- these projects that you're going to be more environmental. That's a key is that you get people in early on and you get all the contractors talking about it so they can start to understand and there can be change. Mm-hmm. And, and right. And it's not just a set of blueprints right. that's removed. It's more a collaboration right. because everybody brings something to the table. Right. And so, I have to say, it's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not only environmentally um, right. sound at, at many levels, and Susan, you can speak to that a little bit more, but it is really beautiful to be able to walk up a ramp, a path that is um, on top of a building, yes. essentially. I mean, it's just, it is such a different experience. Usually you're trying to hide the roof or right. hide the mechanicals right. or hide, but this is like part and parcel you know of the landscape it's Mm -hmm. amazing yeah we're we're so thrilled um i came to think of it like the three working roofs the water gathering roof it's a big roof we never had a place for people to be out of the out of the weather and it it's a big terrace but you can look out and you're right connected to the garden you're right there and it protects you and then there's the green roof the planted roof which is atop an auditorium that gets used for many many classes Mm -hmm. and then there's the photovoltaic or the solar panels on the roof that takes the energy from the sun and makes it into you know, food for the building essentially it's just my, much like a plant right. through photosynthesis right and then the plantings that you have around this building are very um evocative of these three elements too like you have water you have this kind of water wetland right planting well one thing that came up early on is that there's a buried branch of the flushing river that goes through the garden we could see that on the old maps you can't see it now and water is so important to people culturally hence flushing 
Well, but um, listening in. But we decided to make water a unifying element of this, and that was one of our board members, Ashok Bhavnani. He he first articulated that. But you think about it: people went to the well to get water. Mm-hmm. They would go to the river to get water. Religious ceremonies, cooking, cleaning, everything. Water is so central. So using this practically made a lot of sense. And then also in terms of community made a lot of sense. It just is a win-win-win all around. And um, we also, the building and the landscapes have become our biggest teaching tool. We have kids, um, about 20,000 school children from Queens come every, well, not just Queens, but mostly Queens come every year to learn about photosynthesis, to learn about how plants help our environment. Mm-hmm. We also have people coming from South Africa. The council members from South Africa came last year in a snowstorm because they heard about our building and they wanted to see how it worked. So it's fabulous. And this was the first cultural institution that took on such an initiative in New York City. And now mm-hmm. it's become a pretty important part of our New York City design guidelines. Yes, we've become the uh, poster child for the city in it's terms good. of green design. Right. So yes, uh, Brooklyn Botanic Garden is just building yeah. their, their green environmental center mm-hmm. now. I think right. it's opening up this year. Soon. Yeah, yeah, very soon. So you guys were really in the forefront. And it is. it has a wonderful... The planted roof has a wonderful wildness to it. You know, it has, I mean, now everybody, Highline's gotten all of the publicity. It's wildness. It's, it's, you know, native planting and everything. Um, you know, partly because of its location right. downtown. Right. But this Tommy Hill figure. Yeah. But this prefigures that by decades, you know? Um, so it's pretty amazing to see how forward thinking everybody was. Yeah. We we smile broadly. (laughs) Yeah. We smile broadly. I remember I was actually, you invited me when I was at the Hort Society of New York to one of the very early planning sessions Mm -hmm. for like, as a community, what would you want? Right. And I thought, wow, she's, she's involving the community Mm -hmm. on a very base level because it's important you know, to the institution, and they want this to be a community center, so to speak. And th- that was really one of my first introductions to you, Susan, and, yeah. and the warmth that you bring to the garden and to the community, and, and you see how it all integrates. And that's visionary, and that that is remarkable. Well, thank you, Alice. I'm <laughs> blushing over here. I know you're blushing. <laughs> well, tell us some more about the the, the garden and the new green initiatives that you're starting, what you're planning for the future. Well, it is 39 acres. We have many different kind of gardens. One of our newer gardens is the Rose Garden. Carl McCoy on our staff, he's a gardener. He has become the Rosarian. And um, he went to a conference, a botanical garden conference, and he came back and he said, Susan, I can bring sustainability in the Rose Garden, into the Rose Garden. I frowned. I said, really? <laughs> Which no. is really hard to do with roses. Yes, I was very skeptical. And he says, here's how. And then there was this whole, you know, development of the knockout roses, Bill Radler and Mm -hmm. things like that. So he said, I'd like to give it a try. We said, okay. And we got some funding to do that. And um, we've been putting roses that don't need spraying. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, right right plant, right place. We all believe that. And uh, that's what we've been doing. Right. Uh, We also have brought fragrance into the garden because people do like that a lot. It's evocative of many things. You think of your grandmother or, right. you know, food or fragrance or whatever. And we also recently, um, we have a parking garden that we just finished last year. I love that. Year. I love that. Tell me, tell us more about that. That's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's the idea, not just don't have asphalt and park, like have a parking 
garden. Mm-hmm. It's, it's somewhat like the, you know, you take your hand and you spread it out and there's areas between, between. So you put planted areas. It's 18 inches of different size, as I now know to call it aggregate, which is stones. Mm-hmm. And um, you put these papers on, these interlocking um, like bricks, basically, that in between the water goes down in between the bricks and then f- goes down between this, this rock layer and into these bioswales or these like slightly depressed areas. And the plants grow, and it is amazing how well it works to manage the water. And there's a lot of flooding issues in the city because there's so much hardscape. Right. And then you have beauty. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, it's pretty astounding. When I first, when I went for the first time, I thought this is amazing because it's basically permeable paving instead of just asphalt, where right. the water and it'll it'll heat up. It's bad for the plants. It's uncomfortable for people. Right. And then the city has to deal with all that stormwater runoff, mm-hmm. which right. is a real big problem. Right. So. We, also, um, so we also put a little grove of um, deciduous conifers in last year. I got a call from Liam Cavanaugh at Parks one day. He said, Susan, you want some trees? I said, sure. <laughs> yeah. So asked the staff, and you know, something like 89 trees later, we said, yeah, we'd like to put in a deciduous conifer forest, which they lose their, their um, needles and leaves, and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then about a year ago, there was a big storm. Know that whipped through Brooklyn and Queens. Yeah, that oh, was yes. insane. It yeah. was. Did the garden suffer much? Well, we we had an event with the Korean community. It was a tornado. Yeah, yeah, yes. I remember because I, I visited. I think a week or yeah. two after season. <laughs> it was uh, extremely we, violent. We had a yeah. party with the Korean community, as someone said. Yeah, the leadership of the Korean community at that garden, but some didn't make it. But it did take down a big willow tree in the wedding garden, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was as a shade garden, and then all of a sudden, overnight, it became a sun garden. <laughs> yes, we've seen that so, happen. Yes. <laughs> so Morgan Potter went to work. One of our board members helped find some funding, and we uh, have a new sun garden. People can come get married there, right? And I encourage people to do that. You rent out the space a lot for parties. We and do community events, we and do. that's become a big, an important part of your budget. Is these events? I mean, for mm-hmm. all not just your not just Queens, but Brooklyn and New York. It's a very important part of keeping the institutions going, isn't it? It is. And I think there's a whole change it's in, in the world. And I think it's a good change because we all have to take care of the world that we're in and the world that we use. And um, you think about, I, I go around town and there's so many people say, oh, I had my wedding pictures taken there. And it isn't it an honor and a wonderful thing that the Queen's Botanical Garden is in so many photo albums around the world. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That would be a great exhibit, actually, of like... You know, Susan, you could do um, Brides of Queens calendar. (laughs) That would be awesome, right? So tell us about what's slated for the future with with the garden. What are some secret plans that you all are working on? We've been doing a lot of teacher training lately um, because it's so important that teachers understand, and oftentimes they don't. Um, Many do, but but plants are, are... unknown to many people, particularly city dwellers. Yeah. So we've been doing a lot with teacher training. And then our biggest new initiative is the Green Jobs Green Initiative. Green Jobs, yes. yeah. And um, we've been working with um, our staff. We have a very talented staff, Patty Kleinberg and Gennady German, and working with LaGuardia Community College, which has real expertise in um, training for, for jobs and then also job placement. And so we've had two classes finish the first class, already 50% of the people have jobs. That's That's awesome. great. You know, we, Susan, we had um, the, the new executive director of the Rodale Institute on mm-hmm. um, a, a while ago, two, three months
three months ago, and he started an initiative, but with soldiers, you know, mm -hmm. um, that when they're done with their tour of duty, many of them come back to no jobs. Mm -hmm. They have a much higher unemployment rate than the average person and mm -hmm. the typical population. So he started a farmer training program mm -hmm. with business classes and horticulture, a, a horticulture and, and everything, to, and you know, and then also helps them get funding. Um, to get to buy to lease land mm -hmm. and to make a livelihood, mm -hmm. you know, it's great to see these types of programs and and the environment being taken seriously. Yeah, instead of just you know some freak on the side who's interested in it, but it's not it's not big business, so it doesn't get attention. But all of a sudden, the last couple of years, you know, I think people are realizing the benefit of it. And I pinch myself. I know. Because I always did this, and I know you both all did also, but really, everybody wants to be green right now. Yeah, right. Well, well we were the original green. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that OG? Yeah. <laughs> the original green. I am the OG. That's nice. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, I wish we could talk to you more. We'll have to have you back. Absolutely. Well, Just let's give Susan a chance to plug anything that's happening in the next week or two any special events that well, you want to tell our audience about a special event for me is that i'm having my 14th birthday this year <laughs> <laughs> I'm awesome a, you don't look a day over 14 i'm not but it's it's a leap year birthday party and i'm yeah. doing i'm doing it for horticulture okay i'm doing it for interns at the queen's botanical garden and for plants at the queen's botanical garden because we need people to take care of the land but we have many many things so go on our website www.queensbotanical.com dot org yeah Great. and check out that beautiful building that they have yes and some of their programmatic stuff yes. is really fun too yes. so well thanks for listening to we dig plants on the heritage radio network if you want to find out more and see pictures of qbg as we like to affectionately call it just go to we dig plants groundworks gardens on facebook and we'd like to thank our uh, wonderful carlos our um, producer today producer engineer engineer today and Susan for being with us um, we'll and see our sponsor thanks and so our much. sponsor and we'll see you in the garden happy Thank gardening you. thanks for listening thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network you can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.